Hello and welcome back to Mind of Success. I'm your host, Moni Millares, a Mexican-British living in Asia. I work in fintech and build digital banks from scratch. In my years in the industry, I've realized most of us are in a vulnerable financial position. However, building a business can be a catalyst for change. So I created this podcast. It's about business stories we do not talk about. I chat with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and experts about their journeys, struggles, and lessons to extract gems of wisdom and practical tools so that we can thrive and create the impact we want. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Mind of Success. Today, we have an amazing woman that not only she's amazing, but uh, she has had a major influence in my life. Uh, I'll introduce her first, and then I'll go and say why. So we have uh, Ruth Hancock. She currently is the CEO of Octopus Investments. That is a company that invests in business, businesses, and people that are going to change the world. So that is like amazing on its own but even before like octopus investments she's got an amazing career she's been a consultant she's worked with Tony Blair. she started a charity in Sierra Leone she worked in Bacardi she started a new bank in the UK that's tandem that's where we met so uh Ruth thank you and welcome to the show thanks for having me nice to oh, see you thank you yeah it's really looking forward to it so um, before we kind of like go into the detail, just let me give a little bit of context for everyone who's listening on how you and I met. So this was like, what, seven years ago or many years ago? <laughs> yeah. Many years ago. And that's when the context back then was FinTech was just getting started in the UK. And I remember like when I met you, Back then, the Bank of England had only given one banking license in the past 100 years. And Tandem was in a mission to basically change banking and build a good bank. And when I met you, you were in the process, basically with Ricky, one of the founders, to start Tandem, to submit the application to Bank of England and to build this amazing bank. Bank. And basically, that's how we met. Basically, Ruth brought me on board to the team, and it was a life-changing experience. That's right. I can't believe how long it was ago. That's quite mm -hmm. terrifying. But you're right. We'd um, I joined as first employee of Tandem, having met a couple of entrepreneurs who decided they wanted to build a bank, and no one had done this. Metro Bank in the UK had done it, um, and everyone looked at Metro, which had a store-led strategy. Um, and thought well that's pretty cool but who else is going to do it um and i met these two founders who said we're going to go for it and it was one of those career decisions that you think well i'll really kick myself if i've been offered this job and i don't go and do it um and just like you it was one of the um it was one of the best career decisions i've ever made it's not to say it was easy but um but it was brilliant and we were just reflecting that we assembled just a phenomenal team that i absolutely loved working with um, and you were part of it. Yes, yeah, it was, it was really good. And I think that was it, it was the people, it was a team, it was a mix of the mission and the team that made it like so special. 
It was, and there's this magical part of building a company that I find in the first year when it's quite a small group of you and you're doing something that none of you know whether you're going to succeed um, and you're putting your heart and soul into it and it's incredibly, um, it's incredibly memorable, it's incredibly tough it's you build these really deep lasting relationships because you have to yeah. all trust that you're pulling your weight and you're all in it for the right reasons um but it's a wonderful thing to go to to go through and I think it teaches you a load of things that other jobs where you're in a bigger company just can't teach you you know you have to be able to almost do every job in the company and um and help out where's needed regardless what your job title is it's a really um, it's a really sort of formative stage in anyone's career, I think. Yes, definitely. Exactly, yeah. I think like if, if someone is listening and it's like, hey, I would love to join a, a startup, definitely. It may not be easy. Yes, it has many risks, but it is an amazing experience and it helps you grow a lot. It is. And you have to get your head around the fact that, you know, many, many startups fail but yeah. even if you're in a startup that fails that's not the important bit the important bit is learning how to operate in that kind of environment learning the resilience learning the flexibility the pivoting as, as people change. in startups would say rapid pace. <laughs> and, and when you're looking for your next job well certainly when I'm interviewing people I'm not looking for whether the startup they're in was successful or not I'm looking for what they learned from it and what competencies they got from from being there so I agree with you I think it's I think if you if, if the whole idea doesn't fill you with dread if it does maybe don't do it <laughs> it doesn't fill you with dread then go and give it a go exactly and I, I remember it like I remember you once said when you first decided to go for the opportunity you had like multiple like let's say interviews or conversations with Ricky back then and you were like yeah I have to interview him like so many times because it is almost like a marriage you know it's like you're going this full on <laughs> what what and I I remember that because like when I left I was like I need to interview these guys a lot because Ruth that's what she said she did <laughs> but what was it that you were looking for when you were like hey am I going to start the bank with these guys what were you looking for in them yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that as I've gone through my career, I've thought a lot more about than I did at the beginning of my career, but I'm normally looking for values. So I'm looking for, are these people I can trust are gonna build a business that I can feel proud of? Um, so a few years ago, I developed this thing that I call the pub test, which is, can I sit down next to someone I've never met in a pub and tell them what I do and feel really proud of it? And that to me is my acid test of whether I wanna take a job or not. Um, but, you know, you're only going to build that company that you feel proud of if the people you're working with want to build that company as well. So for me, and it's a very individual thing, for me, it's about companies that are about more than just profit, um, that are, have a mission that people really feel um, and feel very passionately about. So I was looking for that. You know, to a degree, you're looking for talent. Is there something I can learn from this person? Does there, if for me, I know I work well with people who are quite, quick thinking who are quite quick to make decisions do I think this person's going to bring out the best in me um and do I think we're going to get on um, <laughs> so, so I'm not sense. I'm not a fan of hierarchy or politics or do I think I can be straight with this person um and actually all of that assessment generally dictates whether I'm actually going to enjoy it when I get there 
almost more than what the company's trying to do or anything else about it. It's all those people that are sitting alongside you as you as you work really hard, people you like, you value, think about the world in the same way as you. So those are those are some of the things definitely that I was looking for. And you're right, I had probably I had about 14 hours of interviews before I yes, joined Tandem. That's what I remember. I was like, I didn't um, want like to a war of attrition. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was by the end of it, I think uh, Ricky knew everything about me because there was, you know, when someone's been talking to you for 14 hours, there's no way you can't I'm just lying. be yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but um, but I was pretty I was pretty sure by the end of it that um, that we were going to work well together, um, which we did. Cool. And then there's two moments. Well, there's many moments that I remember, uh, but there are two things that I still keep with me all the time. I remember. Well, you used to at some point you used to be my manager, but you always were kind of my mentor, and we used to have like development conversations. And at some point, I remember I went to you and I said, Brooke, I want to be a leader. <laughs> I want a leadership position, <laughs> something along those lines. And I remember you told me, hey, you need to think this about this properly because when it comes to the doing the doing and when you're like under pressure, you need to decide if you want to be a leader or if you want to be a manager. And that always stayed with me. And many times when it's very hard, I'm like, I need to get this done. <laughs> you know, this time just like, put on the, the manager hat. And I think that is a piece of advice that it's not spoken much about. Can you expand on what you meant about being a leader versus a manager? Yeah, it's, um, and you know, I've definitely oscillated between the two at different parts. And at some bits of my career, I've sort of thought, how do I make that jump from being what in my head is a manager to a leader? So the way I think about it is, a manager is generally thinking about how do I deliver what's in the plan? So how do I um, how do I make sure that steps are broken down and that people in my team are clear what they need to do to deliver the plan? It's kind of about execution. Yeah. And that is an incredibly important job in any company, let alone a startup. Um, to me, a leader has to play a different role, which is a leader has to be thinking five to 10 years ahead. It's the hardest job in the company because you're you're thinking a distance away that is really hard and it's really complicated. You don't know what the world's going to look like then, but if you're not thinking about it, then no one is. So to mm -hmm. me, a leader thinks long-term and actually what a great leader does, I think is create the environment where people can succeed, which is yeah. quite different from a manager, which is I think breaking down a plan and being sometimes quite prescriptive about how to get there. A leader I think is creating, some people call it the track to run on, what does, what does great look like? Um, but then actually what you're trying to blend is motivation. So why do you want to get there? Um, sometimes with a bit of how you get there. Um, but what's very easy to forget actually is the why. The why will always create a more effective team because if people get out of bed wanting to get there, then they'll figure out their own ways and they're always yeah. going to be more successful than you in thinking how to do all of their jobs for them. <laughs> that is true. Um, but it's but it's but some people sort of think well therefore leader is leader is where I should be trying to get to and I think I'd say you know for some people definitely for other people no it's it may not be your core strength it may not be the job you enjoy one is not necessarily better than the other they're both really valuable functions in a company um but um but they do they they do have different functions I think yes. um and you can and you can pull on some of the strengths and of each role 
even in sort of the day job of how do I get the most out of someone? Um, am I thinking about motivation? Am I thinking about direction? Um, and they're, they're both very powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, hey, exactly, it's both. How do I bring the best out of people? But at the same time, how do I get things done? Because otherwise, yeah. like, if it doesn't get done, then, hey, amazing leader, yeah. whoop, whoop, but not You've got very... No yeah, exactly, what are you leading? <laughs> like, there is no company. Exactly. <laughs> cool and then the other the other moment that i remember that it was like impre like properly impressive was uh tandem had secured a lot of millions in fundraising january remember perfectly january yay everybody was happy and then by march when we were supposed to get the next tranche of money we didn't and basically the whole company went into crisis but what was impressive it's not the situation but like how you and the management team handled that situation. I remember I used to be in the meetings like with the big guys and I was taking notes and I would be like, oh my God. <laughs> but everybody handled it. I, I remember telling to myself, I don't know how these guys do this. They look normal. <laughs> like, they never lost their temper. It was like, wow, you were in extreme stress, like the whole team but you managed to, to stay calm and make extremely really good decisions because like the company survived at the end. What I'm interested in knowing is like, what was your mindset back then? Because there was also very tough decisions about like cutting people and well, you left at the end. Like it was very difficult as such and emotional because it was like, oh, the baby is kind of like falling apart. So yeah, I'm yeah. interested to know your mindset. What was going so, on for your head back then? Yeah, and you're right. It was, you know, if I get asked what's the toughest point in your career, I think it was it was probably okay. that. So as you say, we've been we've been working for what two and a half years to build this bank, and we thought we were sort of home and dry as you ever are when you're fundraising. Um, and and literally it sort of all fell apart over the course of a weekend. And I remember spending a whole weekend in an office at a lawyer's with a whiteboard thinking well what are all the ways that we could recut the company to try and get it to survive and probably point number one was we we're all pretty clear at the beginning that um, getting the company to survive was what we were trying to deliver so it wasn't that we were trying to do anything else it wasn't that people were trying to preserve their own jobs or even to a degree preserve the every single element of the vision it was, what can we do to make this company survive? And so that then gets you into the mindset of, I know I've got to make some tough decisions. Um, and I think certainly the way I um, went into it, and I think I would have struggled more 10 years earlier in my career, but I certainly went into it thinking, you know, for me personally, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is I don't have a job anymore. But I think I've learned loads of stuff, so I think I'll get another job. And as soon as you let go of that fear, of um, this could mean something really horrible for me, then you can make much more balanced decisions. So there was no outcome from that that I felt personally scared of. Um, mm. And that gives you a lot of comfort. Um, it gives you a lot of perspective. So I was able to think about the management team and, and generally, genuinely not get stressed whether my name was in it or not. I was determined that my name would only be in it if I felt it was the right structure for the management team um and because then by the time we walked into the office on monday you know the other thing is you 
you can't hide something like this from all of your employees. We were determined that as soon as everyone arrived on Monday morning, we had to be open with people. Uh, we had to bring them into what was happening and we had to at least have the bare bones of this is what I think happens next so that people weren't living in ambiguity. Um, and at that point, when you realised that for us, that meant probably a third of jobs were going to disappear, that people need to feel that they have a say in what the shape of the company is. So we were clear that we wanted to present a plan, but create lots of space for people to have an input because there's no way that five of us in a lawyer's office all weekend could have got to the right answer. Um, and secondly, that those that were leaving felt like they'd been treated fairly. So they felt like they'd been part of the decision that we'd been as, um, as fair as we could be under the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And that everyone went out of their way to say, these people are awesome because we wouldn't have hired them if they weren't. <laughs> Why don't you hire them? And I do see that a lot amongst fintech, actually. When tough things happen, I saw it actually with Peloton recently. Loads of things, loads of people reaching out saying, great, if, you, if you've come from that great company, come and talk to us. And, and we did a lot of that as well. And it's, it was the thought in our minds of what you want people, whether they're leaving or staying, to say is, I felt they were fair. Um, mm. And I thought if we could come out with everyone saying, I thought they were fair. That's kind of all you can hope for. People may also say it was awful, but they were fair. That's and, and that's sort of an inevitable consequence of a tough situation. But, um, but kind of acting with integrity, doing the best you can. And, um, and as I said at the beginning, taking your, taking your emotion out of it, thinking, you know, and, and I, I think about this a lot, actually, even when I have a stressful day, what's the worst that can happen? worst can happen is you get sacked and you that's get another job yes. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think I mean, as well not, I'm like the worst that can happen it's like I'll go home <laughs> you know yeah exactly <laughs> it's not fun but there are many worse things in the world um exactly. and I think if you if you if you allow yourself that freedom of I'm, I'm probably going to be okay then um then it gives you the space to um, to make dream. rational decisions rather than get caught in that in that stress which you know we all do now and then but yes yes because I remember it like from I, of course I was a member of staff back then like I remember I was like I felt the fear you know it's like mm. oh we'll not have a job and I remember like all of my colleagues who were like oh but I remember like asking I don't remember if it was you but one of the other guys in the management team I'm like how do you look so calm? <laughs> How did you do this? It's like, oh, it's just experience. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> Not sure I want that experience. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, it's like, it was, it was a shaping moment. It is. And it's, again, I mean, it's that, I don't care whether you've worked in a fintech that has worked or not. It's the... Um, you know, I, I would point to that experience as being one of the parts of my career where I've learned the most in a short period of time. And it wasn't that it was fun, but um, but you can always look on the bright side and think, well, faced with that situation again, I'd, I'd probably have a better idea how to approach it. Exactly. Yeah. And like be under that amount of stress. For me, it was like I had opportunities I couldn't have had like to work with Exco and the board and all that. I couldn't have had that if that didn't happen and that was like yeah. so eye-opening now yeah. I can say ah oh, yeah I was part of you know like the fundraising project management in that moment that it was like yeah. not fun but <laughs> it is 
it, it gives you exposure to something that in your day-to-day -day job probably you wouldn't have. So yeah, thankfully for people. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So if I kind of like change gears a little bit, um, since I met you, and probably even more now that you have like a CEO role, like everybody looked at in the company back then, we were like, oh, Ruth is amazing. And on top of that, like she runs to the office every day, but then you used to live in London. And it's like, you used to run to the office and you were like super nice and you were pregnant while building a new bank. <laughs> you had your babies and you were like thriving in your career. Now you have two babies. Now you're CEO of a large company. And the question that everybody asks is like, how, how does she do it? So yeah, what's your secret? How did you do it? <laughs> You know, I, I think the secret is there is no secret, genuinely. So I, so yeah, I have two kids, they're four and six now, um, but I had them both when I was at Tandem. And I remember wow. even when I took the job thinking, because I was, I was in my early to mid thirties and I thought, I know I want to have kids, you know, is this, is this a sensible thing to do? And I got a great bit of advice from um, a lady who'd got, I think five kids and she said you know you can't predict what's going to happen with kids and pregnancy and all of these other things um so all you can do is make the career decisions you want to make and you will make it work and I really took that to heart and I and I think I did I yeah. um you know it was I find even in the last five years things have changed quite considerably but even then you know I'd occasionally bring my baby into the office and I'm actually going off to a fundraising meeting that was supposed to be an hour and ended up being about three hours. And I'd abandoned oh, Dougie, who was five months old in the office. And I just sort of said, can someone keep an eye on this baby? And I was gone for about three hours. And thankfully, you know, by the time I got back, he'd been to meetings, someone had found a bottle <laughs> of bed in. Yeah. Um, and he was totally fine. And um, and I think it's something to, to be encouraged actually to, um, I, I tend not to draw a line between work and home um, because I, love my job and I love my home and they fit around each other um but what would I say what would I say the secret is I think um be be who you are at work as well as at home so I spend a lot of time talking about my kids leaving the office at five o'clock which I try and do every yes, day because I like I to see them at time yeah and it was a new rule I set for myself that previously I would have been a kind of burning the midnight oil person and there till 10. Um, and I thought, well, if I'm, um, I can still work when I get home, but I want to see my kids for bedtime. So I still do it now. I leave the office at five to make sure I get home for bedtime. And then I switch on again in the evening if I need to. And that works for me. But I talk quite shamelessly about it. I don't apologise um, because I will always get the work done but I'll do it so that I can see my family as well. And that's really important. Um, yeah. I try and still make a little bit of time for myself. So for me, it's running. I, I've always loved running. Um, and having just one thing that I do that's for me and not for anyone else, I think keeps me, it creates some thinking time for me. Mm. And it can often be the thing that when you're a parent and you're working full time, you let go of and I definitely let go of lots of things I see much less of my friends than I'd like to and there's always going to be compromises but running home from the office I now run to the train station um, mm. is really important for me um, and I know that the more I do that the more balanced and grounded I'll be because 
Um, I haven't compromised on everything. Um, and I think the final thing, and it's, you know, it's sort of lovely that people say, oh, how does she do it? But the, but the fact is, it is really difficult. And yes. I think a lot of people feel like they look at you and they think, oh, you're just gliding along. Gosh, that must be, you must have this secret that I don't. It's like, no, it's really, yeah. it's really hard. I work really hard. Yeah. I'm very organized. Yeah. I, um, I think, I think a lot about it. So, so if it feels like it's hard, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because it's really hard. I love um, that. I love that. Phrase. And I think being open about that is really, is really important. And the same for men. It's not, it's not just, no, it's, not um, it's not just women. I'm, I'm very fortunate. And it's one of, it's one of my sort of rules for life is my husband is as excited about my career as I am. Things are very balanced at home. We think of ourselves as both equal parents, not, you know, um, mum does this and dad does this. And, and I think like that at home, I think like that at work. Um, but it's hard for both of us, you know, it's a tough balance for my husband as well. Um, and it's okay to talk about that. It's okay to um, be open about the fact that it requires a kind of superhuman level of organization to make sure none of the balls yeah. drop. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's worth it. And I, I feel as if I do genuinely kind of get the best of both worlds, which I'm very fortunate for. Yeah, exactly. And you've done that since, since years ago when you were pregnant, because I remember the yeah. change as well. It's like, oh, yeah, she's changing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, exactly. And it's and you sort of I, I remember feeling quite strongly that it's as certainly the tandem management team. I think at the time I was the only woman on the management team. Yeah. Um, and I felt it was quite important that people felt it was okay to go home and see their kids or go and do something else. It doesn't have to be your kids. Um, and that actually setting that example was quite important because if people took permission from me doing it, then that's great. Um, and didn't feel like they had to apologize or say, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't at the office at seven o'clock. Don't be sorry. If you're getting your work done, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apologize if you haven't done your work. But that's, that's a different <laughs> Otherwise, thing. just go and leave. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think that's such an important message to, to share because many companies are still don't have that culture, let's say. And I don't know if it's that they don't have it or us as people don't have that mindset. Therefore, we think that, oh, I need to be in the office until this time, I need to overwork, I need to da 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 da, and makes it more difficult, especially for working moms. I don't know how they've done it with the pandemic, like properly, it's been tough. Yeah, I saw a little animation recently that was a picture of four people sitting at their desks and there were thought bubbles coming from all of them. And they were all saying, I can't be the first to leave. Um, and you know oh. that that's what makes the culture is yeah. everyone thinking I mustn't do this where if you leave and you say you know I've had a great day I might finish this off when I get home um, I'm off now then you create this permission, permission for for to balance their work across their life and that to me is what the next generation of work is about the sort of obsession with how many days do I have to be in the office is I think missing the point the point for me is do your job manage on outcomes manage on delivery how much have you achieved how much have you contributed to this company when and how you do that I care much less about I want you to build relationships with people in your team I want you to be part of building a brilliant culture because that's what makes work really fun yeah. yes but yes. that doesn't need to come with a bunch of 
rules or FaceTime or um, or imagining that there's a certain way to do it. Um, but we all have to start thinking like that and all have to start acting like that. Um, because otherwise you have four people sitting in a row thinking, oh, I mustn't be the oh, first to yeah. <laughs> It's like, it's already seven. <laughs> well, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, that's so important. And then just building on that, on you, you built a very, you created a very full life in terms of all aspects of your life, not only like family and work, but you also have a charity in Sierra Leone, not in the UK, <laughs> like that, just having a charity on its own, it's amazing. But it's like, you have a charity in Sierra Leone. Can you tell us the story on how that happened? And how do you, like, how did you go about yeah. it? Yeah, that's so, so exciting. I, about 10 years ago, well, actually 12 years ago now, was given the opportunity to go and work in Sierra Leone for a year. Um, so I joined a UK charity that placed people into governments in sub-Saharan Africa to try and help. It was sort of in those days termed capacity building. It was how do you help the um, government build the skills and competencies to better manage the country? Because particularly in Sierra Leone at that point, it was about eight years post-conflict. Um, and, you know, clearly when a country goes through a decade-long conflict as Sierra Leone had, the machinery of government sort of gets dismantled as part of that. Um, so they were still in the process of rebuilding that competency and how do you run an effective country? Um, and I was in the Ministry of Trade helping them attract foreign investment, helping them think about how they could create a thriving economy. How did they create the tax environment? How did they create the, um, the investment case for people coming to the country? And, you know, my experience at that point had been as a consultant in the UK. So I'd worked for the government, I'd worked for private organizations. I wasn't an expert in international development. So it was very much one of those jobs where you rolled up your sleeves and you used everything in your kit bag to try and help find the answer. And you know, one day that might have been teaching someone how to use a computer. And the next day it was sitting with the president of Sierra Leone and Tony Blair and saying, I think this is what you should do with the tax laws oh, wow <laughs> and you know it's sort of one one extreme to the other so I as you can imagine you learn a huge amount from um from an experience like that but when I was there I became very good friends with um with my driver so for anyone who's lived in sub-Saharan Africa it's quite normal that you will have some staff working for you which when you first move out there you feel very comfortable uh, uncomfortable about when you've lived in the UK it feels like a very strange yeah. relationship and then you start to understand that actually um, there is a really low level of reliable employment so if you're lucky enough to earn a good wage then frankly the more people you can employ around your house, household the better, the better. Um, so my driver was a, a wonderful man called Suleiman who had grown up in the civil war who'd lost his father and ended up in Freetown which is the capital and had made friends with um, a pastor um, called James and Suleiman is a as a devout Muslim is you know best friends with a Christian pastor and Sierra Leone is one of those wonderful places where um, people are are in the most part quite religious but very relaxed about what religion you are and extremely accepting of other people's beliefs which is you know a lesson for all of us I think um, but Suleiman and James were good friends and James had set up a community school literally on the roof of his house. So I went to visit and there were 20 kids sitting on a rooftop under a tarpaulin 
in Sierra Leone, which is a very hot country, uh, having basic lessons. Um, and I remember thinking, gosh, we must be able to do better than this. So I got in touch with lots of people in the UK and we ended up raising about £20,000 to build them a school. Um, and little did I sort of realise at this point that obviously when you build the school, you're, the, <laughs> you're then sort of very responsible for the school, which is which is oh. lovely. But it's um, but since we built the school, gosh, 11 years ago, um, we've supported it ever since. So when I came back to the UK, um, I set up a UK charity and we fundraise to pay the teachers to provide lunches for the kids because it's uh, the one sort of hot, reliable meal that most of them get. Um, every time I go out, I take a um, suitcase full of laptops that people have donated so the kids have computers. So I remember doing it at Tandem actually. Yeah, that's what I was about laptop. to say, yeah. We literally did. arrive at the airport with we suitcases full of them. The Christmas. Yeah, yeah we did a Christmas a fundraise. smiles. That's what it we was. Did. One thousand smiles, and then that it was like getting the exactly the right. toys for Christmas for you to take. Yeah, exactly right. Everyone donated toys. They donated phones yeah. and yeah. laptops, and I just yeah. turned up in Freetown with suitcases yeah. full of them. Um, and you know, I guess almost going back to our previous conversation of how do you stay balanced when you're going through a time of extreme stress. You know, I don't think I've ever been through anything in my life that comes close to the stress that some of the people I met in Sierra Leone have been through. You know, they've lived through a civil war. They've lived through Ebola. Um, they live in the poorest non-conflict nation in the world. And every every time I speak to Suleiman, which I do most weekends, he'll say things like, oh, I'm really worried about um, COVID. Are you OK? And I'm like, so why are you worrying about me? <laughs> And you probably have more to deal with than I do. Um, but it keeps you, it keeps that sense of perspective. Um, and I feel very fortunate that I'd count Suleiman, James, the teachers at the school as friends and they're friends that, um, that do an awful lot for the kids they educate and have taught me just as much as anything I've ever done for them. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a really nice thing. It's a really yeah, nice thing to be able to do. And I'm missing them. I haven't been out for four years thanks to COVID but can't wait to get back yeah and I can see that like in your face even like how you talk about it it's like very fulfilling it's like very warm it's like so much different than talking about your career it's like more human it is it is and it's you know yeah. people I remember when I was at uni I studied biology and there was this interesting concept of is does altruism really exist so or is altruism actually um, not selflessness is about making yourself feel good. And, you know, I could argue it either way. Is running a charity altruistic? No, it makes me feel brilliant. It teaches me yeah. things. It creates bonds with people. It gives me perspective. Um, and, that you know, those things might be different from giving money, but there's definitely reciprocity there. And it... Um, and it's um, and it's very powerful. And I think a lot of people feel the same about volunteering, about charity, about having passions that um, people might on the surface think, well, it's about giving back, but it's actually about you sort of filling your heart with different things that, that make you feel good. And that's, um, that's something to be encouraged, I think. Yeah. Oh, I love that word that it's like, it's about filling your heart with things that, yeah. that you like, whether that's at work, but even if it's at work, it's like that thing outside the work that fills you up. It's like, Gives you exactly. and you, you get it from work too. Yeah. I get it when I when I look at someone in the team who's 
you know, learned loads in their career, that that's exactly the same emotion. It's, um, and you know, it you may not feel like it's selfless helping someone develop their career because fundamentally you're trying to build a brilliant business. So then being better at their job is sort of good for everyone. But there's definitely a, a, the same feeling of um, if I'm managing people, I, I want first and foremost for them to build a brilliant career. And mm. there will be a, a time when they're pointing that career at building the business that I'm working in. And there'll be points when they're not. And both of those are both of those are equally valid. But I want people to feel like I care about them building themselves, not just. I'm going to get as much out of you as I can as an employee and then and then off you go that to me isn't yeah. important at all no no and now now that we came back to career like of course I saw you many times like working at exco level and with partners like with very senior people and I think your style it's, it was so good it's like oh yeah <laughs> there she goes <laughs> so what type of advice would you tell to anyone like men or, or women it's the same when it comes to managing stakeholders in a difficult conversation or you know like yeah with difficult characters because it's not always like ah oh, yeah when everybody's nice it's easy but yeah I think there's a few tricks so the first bit of advice I often give to people is I think I learned a lot from being a salesperson so when I was a consultant I would be responsible for selling Uh, projects as well as delivering them and there's nothing like sales to help you learn to read a room because it's mm -hmm. there's such a clear relationship between can you persuade someone and are you doing your job um so it's a really it's a really great thing to do even if it's just for a short period because it really hones that ability to um understand what people want from you yeah. and I think one of the things I learned as a salesperson was I used to have a rule that I tried not to do anything apart from ask questions for the first half of a meeting, because unless I really understood the other people in the room, not just what they were saying, but their motivations as an individual, it was really hard to know what to pitch back to them. And I used to describe to my sales team that you, you know, you have the things that you think you or your company are good at, and you should think about light bulbs going off in your head of which things should I light up for this person? Because if you've got a If you've got a set of 10 things you could talk about, the first half of the meeting should be figuring out which are the light bulbs, which of those 10 things are you going to play back to them? Um, so there's some very straightforward skills like that that you can, that you can practice. Um, I think the other more fundamental one is I tend to think you get the best out of people if you bend your style to them rather than expecting people to respond to your style. So um, again, I'm often trying to understand what I think people will respond to, but I also sort of have this fundamental belief that it's not about me. Um, so I don't care whether I'm perceived to be the winner or loser. I don't care whether um, I get my own way. I care that the right we reach the right outcome. And I think as so long as you let go of thinking, Are people going to think I've been great or not great? Are people going to respect me for this or that? If you can just let go of all that baggage of what are people going to think of me, you can actually just put yourself in the room and try and get to the right answer rather mm. than persuade people of your point of view. And it's a very different mindset going into the yeah. meeting. Um, but I think it's what um, 
is what allows you to frankly get get to a better result in my mind and one of the things I love about Octopus where I work now is it's extremely unpolitical um, and what a lot of people will say to you is the more senior you get the better you've got to get at showing people how valuable you are and telling your story and I think it's all nonsense I think I think most work is about showing that you're competent and showing that you can deliver outcomes that build a great business um, and do so with integrity um, and I always encourage people that if they get feedback to, you know, get yourself into the board meeting so you can show that you know what you're talking about. I always say, you know, don't lose any sleep over that. Do a brilliant job and deliver it. Uh, treat others as you'd want to be treated yourself and you will get noticed yeah. Yeah. Um, because that's what builds great companies. Um, and it just means you let go of this, um, this very human thing that I must show up in every meeting showing how great I am. No one cares about you. They care about um, getting to the right answer. And if you let go of that, it's quite freeing, I think. That's amazing. I was like, that's a, that's a very interesting perspective and a very nice message as well. Mm. So as we are wrapping up, like of course now we're in March, time flies. <laughs> it's International Women's Day, so it's International Women's Month. What's your final remarks now that it's like International Women's Day? Oh, it's a great, it's a great question. I would say don't, specifically when I talk to women, don't limit yourself. The, um, it, is, it is possible to do all the things you want to do in your life. Um, it's not easy, but it's possible. So if you want to work and have a family, if you want to have a passion and have a career, I believe you can. And I believe that it's about, um, about being yourself, being honest with people, um, showing up to do the best, best job you can. And just don't be your, don't be your own worst enemy. Um, and um, and if you choose to spend your life with someone else, spend it with someone who brings the same balance. Um, because important. for me, that's the, um, that's the thing that has allowed me to really proudly continue to focus on my career. Um, and, and I think it's not true for everyone, um, but I've, I've found that a very valuable, um, valuable thing to have done. Awesome. It's been an amazing conversation, super valuable conversation. It's kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we need to release into all of that. <laughs> Thank yes. you so much for your time and for sharing all the wisdom. Uh, with Such a pleasure to chat, Moni. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And it's been a pleasure. And see you next week. Ciao, ciao. Thank you.